0: Well, let me also say good morning to you, and I know this is uh, one of those mornings where you, you weren't sure what the weather was going to be, all of that, and uh, watching weather reports. And uh, uh, my mom lives up in the, the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, and she just Texted a few minutes ago, said there's already six inches of snow on the ground, and they're expecting 12 more today. So uh, uh, just be glad. It's just a little wet uh, right here, right now. Uh, you know, last week we, we started off uh, our series on God's uh, perfect Christmas gift, and started off talking about uh, some of the, kind of a little walk down memory lane, some of the, the popular toys uh, of years past, and, and thought we might just take a moment just to, to get started. Started this morning, and, and just hear what, what are some of your like all time favorite Christmas movies? And they don't have to be spiritual, all right? It's okay. It's, I know it's Sunday morning, uh, uh, but it, it's some of your all time favorite Christmas movies. What just let's just shout out a few of them. What, what would those be? Christmas story, you'll shoot your guy out, kid, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful life up here, Santa Claus. Santa Claus? White, White, Christmas. White Christmas. There was a Grinch back there. You sang the movie or a person? Wait. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Very good. There's some good ones. Any? How about over here? Any? Rudolph. Rudolph. Christmas shoes. Cool. Christmas in Connecticut. Okay. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. Santa Pauls, okay, Pauls, I got you. All right, very good. That's a that's. A, see, I got to catch up on a few of these. I'm behind on a couple of these. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I i mean, like, did the Hallmark Channel even exist before Christmas movies? I don't know. I mean, they're there's, they're out there everywhere, right? uh Lots and lots of, of Christmas movies, and folks have have all sorts of ones that are are, are their favorites. Well. The next question is, is simply this. What do you think is the number one most popular religion in America? I'm going to give you a hint. According to at least some researchers, it's not Christianity, it's not Judaism, it's not Islam, it's not Buddhism. According to Christian Smith, who's a sociologist from Notre Dame, he says that the most popular religion in America is what he calls moral Moral therapeutic deism. It's kind of folks from all different persuasions buy in. This religion, if you will and I know it's not necessarily a separate religion is characterized by five beliefs. The first is, there is a God who probably got this whole thing started and watches over us. that God wants people to be nice and fair and good. That the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. And that God isn't really involved in your daily life except in case of emergency, right? I mean, you kind of need like, you know, some celestial performance enhancement or something, right? You break in. And the fifth belief is that good people, moral people, decent people, all go to heaven. And my guess is that if you polled a lot of Americans, you had a lot of conversations with a lot of Americans, that you would find a lot of folks saying, yeah, that seems about right. That seems about right. And yet, Christmas tells us a different story. Christmas tells us we're not all right, that we needed an intervention. Every single one of us, and that intervention was Jesus Christ. He is described in Isaiah's prophecy that we read last Sunday morning with four names. For unto us, 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah wrote under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. For to us a child is born, and the wind is winning up here, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, we looked at last week, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What this... Bible reminds us of what God's word to us is, is that we needed an intervention. We needed a mighty God to intervene. We needed someone to rescue us. And so on this uh, little different Sunday morning with weather conditions and our service times adjusted and everything else, I thought it would be good for us just to take a, a few minutes and remind ourselves of of three basic truths. Three basic truths that honestly fly in the face of moral therapeutic deism. And probably fly in the face of what most Americans and probably most people feel is true. You see, what the testimony of Scripture is, what, what Christmas reminds us of, is that every person is contaminated by sin and is in need of a rescue. Every single one of us, the most moral and the most immoral, we all are contaminated by sin and we are in need of a rescue. Some of the scriptures that speak to that, Paul wrote extensively about it in a letter to the Romans. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned every one of us chose a rebellion against God uh, every one of us chose to be a self ruler of our life instead of submitting to the rightful rule and reign of Jesus Christ uh, in our life and because of that sin because of that sin all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God for that's true of every one of us and because of that the wages the payday is death physical death is a symptom of sin in the world the so result of that, but spiritual death, an eternal separation from God. But God intervened. But God gave us a gift, God's perfect Christmas gift, the gift of eternal life in Jesus our Lord. When Paul wrote another letter to a group of folks in a city called Ephesus, he kind of drilled down on the core of the contamination and our desperate need for a rescue. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, that, that is exactly the opposite of, of kind of the common held belief today that it'd just be good and, then, you know, in the end, you probably good deeds are more than your bad deeds and we'll all be okay and everybody goes to heaven. He says, no, because of my sin, because of my rebellion, I am actually under God's right and just and fair wrath. I'm an object of God's wrath wrath. Just a few verses later he would write, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's that's my default position, that, that, that I have been contaminated by sin, and I am in need of a rescue. Now some of you may remember just a few years ago now, here in the the, the 21st century, it's actually uh, February day, February 1st, 2003, the space shuttle Columbia was making a re-entry with its seven crew members, and it began to disintegrate over Texas. Debris was scattered from Trophy Club to Tyler and into parts of Louisiana. This disintegration upon re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere resulted in the death of all seven crew members shortly before it was scheduled to conclude its 28th mission. In the follow-up investigation, NASA investigators concluded that the source of the problem occurred on takeoff when a small piece of flyaway foam from a fuel tank hit the lower side of the left wing, damaged it just enough so that it couldn't withstand the heat of reentry. See, here's the thing. That happened at takeoff. For the next 15 days and 22 hours, the seven crew members carried on their mission not knowing that they were doomed from takeoff. They couldn't see the damage in the underbelly of the wing. They didn't know they needed a rescue, but they did. As NASA engineers debated the extent of the damage of the shuttle, a flight director communicated with the astronauts saying there was absolutely no concern that the breakaway foam harmed the spacecraft. There were voices of authority saying that there was nothing wrong, that there was no reason for concern. But the crew was doomed with no escape. Though they didn't know it, they were in desperate need of a rescue. You see, we can carry on our lives and we can be busy and we can be accomplishing tasks and we can be communicating with others and we can operate under the assumption that everything's okay, not realizing that we are in desperate need of a rescue. When Jesus talked about his coming again someday, He likened it to the days of Noah and the ark. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. They didn't know they were in need of a rescue. (laughs) He said, that is how it will be at the coming. Of the Son of Man. When we think about the Challenger, see, even if, here's the thing even if those astronauts had known the extent of the damage, even if they had known that they couldn't re enter, there is nothing that they could have done to save themselves. They didn't have the equipment on board, they didn't have the materials. They didn't have the expertise. They didn't have the capacity to save themselves. They were in need of a rescue, and they didn't even know it. And sometimes I think about our culture. We're so blessed, and we're so busy, aren't we? And we've got so much going on. That sometimes we maybe can look at some of the folks we know and love and care about and think, well, they're good people and they're decent neighbors and good coworkers. All the time, we can live our whole life not recognizing that we are in desperate, desperate need of a rescue. You see, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came, God in the flesh, mighty God becomes this babe in Bethlehem because we needed a rescue. And that's the second truth. Jesus Christ is the mighty God who came to rescue us. If we were all okay, if we didn't need an intervention, if we didn't need a rescue that we, we, we maybe weren't aware we needed but certainly couldn't affect on our own, Jesus Christ would not have come. But the mighty God came in the form of Jesus Christ to rescue us. And we go back even to the, even to the announcement of Jesus' birth as, as his parents, uh, Mary, and then in Matthew 1, Joseph are being prepared for this, this mighty God in the flesh. And, and notice the angel's communication and what it says about what he's going to do. But after he had considered this... Uh, Joseph, an angel communicating to Joseph after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, intentionality in that name, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet the virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us in that angelic announcement to Joseph, there are two names of, of Jesus that, that hold significance for why he came. The first is the name we're certainly most familiar with, Jesus. Jesus is actually from the Hebrew Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, or salvation is from Yahweh. Why, why was he given this name? Because this name was a descriptor of his mission, this name was a descriptor of what it is that he came to do and came to accomplish and but you will also call him Emmanuel and the scripture tells us there Matthew you want God with us that God broke in because he loved us because he knew of our need that he came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves now now here's the thing Sometimes they, say, well, there's all these beliefs and all these religions, and everybody has different opinions about what their favorite Christmas movie is, right? <laughs> and we heard a bunch of them right this thing in the morning. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, there are some things that are true about Christianity that are not true about any other belief system in the world. And I want to remind you of those this morning. The first is Jesus alone claimed to be God. Jesus alone claimed to be God. And we won't take the time to look, but there's a a few sampling of those declarations in John's gospel there. You can dive in deeper. But he, he claimed to be mighty God in the flesh. Some folks want to say, well, Jesus was a moral person. Jesus was a great model. Jesus was a, a great teacher. He was all of those things, but not just those things. He was God in the flesh. Mighty God who came to rescue us. But the second distinction is so important. You see, only Jesus arose from the grave. Right? I mean, uh, Muhammad didn't. Right? Buddha didn't. All they would go down the list. Only Jesus arose from the grave. And not only that he arose from the grave, but he called it in advance. Right? As they were nearing Jerusalem before the crucifixion, he reminded them what he'd been telling those disciples all along the way. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, now think about that, right? Think about that. Who of us would say something like that? Even if you could predict, I'm probably going to go to this city and get killed. To call the shot in advance that, oh yeah, and by the way, on the third day, I'm going to be raised back to life. And that's exactly what the eyewitnesses tell us happened. Mark's gospel and the gospels and throughout the letters of Paul and others, we have testimony after testimony of this resurrection. Jesus appeared. He appeared to the 11. As they were eating, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Then he called it in advance. All the way, Tim Keller wrote about this. He said, he said, listen, if Jesus arose from the dead, then everything he said takes on a heightened importance. And I better pay attention to everything he said. But if he didn't arise from the dead, then quite honestly, whatever he said doesn't matter all that much. It's just like somebody else's opinion of what's a good Christmas movie, Right? the pivotal apologetic, if you will, even in our day and age of moral therapeutic deism is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said if he hasn't been resurrected, then we are to be among all people most pitied because what we believe is worthless. But if he called this in advance and delivered, then nothing, Nothing is of more importance. Jesus claimed to be mighty God in the flesh. He claimed in advance that he would be crucified and that he would be resurrected on the third day. And the third distinction between Christianity and every other major belief system in the world is simply this. Only Jesus offers salvation through grace and not through works that only Jesus, every other religion is some form of performance. I do good things, even in the end, moral therapeutic deism is based on some performance. I do good and I am forgiven, I'm okay with God. But what Christianity tells us, what Jesus Christ tells us is that I'm not okay and there's nothing I can do to rescue myself and there's no works that I can offer that'll be good enough but that Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself in the life that he lived and the death that he died. For it is by grace, Paul would write. Paul, who was on the performance plan. Paul, who if anybody could have got there by your good works and religious activity, Paul would have been at the front of the class. Paul came to realize that my works are nothing. He said, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one, no one can boast. One of the most beloved passages for many is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That's Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Not whoever does enough, but whoever believes in him. Jesus put it very, very succinctly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is something distinct about Jesus. God in the flesh who came among us. God who called in advance His, His death and His resurrection. Who offers to us the only way to be reconciled to the Father. There's not lots of ways. There is one way. Jesus Christ. And that's the proclamation of the New Testament church. In Acts 4, we find the summation of it. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be Saved. I know that in this day and age, that's not necessarily PC. It's not necessarily well received. In fact, if some would say it's narrow. He might even be called a bigot, holier than thou. But when you understand this, there's it's it's not a holier than thou. It's I couldn't rescue myself. I needed a rescuer. I needed someone to rescue me. Sometimes when I'm talking to somebody about this, talk about do versus done, and you've heard us talk about this before. You can almost summarize every other major belief system. You can kind of put in moral therapeutic deism under that category of do, D-O, that it's what I do. I do more good than bad and I'll be okay with God. But biblical, authentic, God-honoring belief in Christ is about done, D-O-N-E. It's not what I do, it's what He has done. It's what He has done for me. Only Jesus, the mighty God, who came to rescue us. Which leads to the third truth that I want us to look at briefly this morning. And that is that we each must choose. We each must choose to trust Christ for our rescue and salvation or reject Him. Basically kind of say we're okay on our own. We either trust Him or we reject Him. In John's gospel, John wrote, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on Him. Remember what Paul wrote. We are in our own self objects of wrath. That apart from the intervention of Jesus Christ, apart from our belief in Him, we remain under God's wrath, His righteous judgment toward us. Mark's Gospel records these words. Whoever believes... Oh, the time has come, excuse me, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, Jesus said, and believe the good news. That there is something that took place in a certain time in history that calls for a decision, that calls for a response, that calls for us to turn from, from self-directed life, uh, choosing our own way, and choose to rely and trust on Him, to repent and to believe. And we all have to make that choice. You go back to the Christmas narratives. Herod and the wise men were both confronted with the same information. But they chose to respond in two entirely different ways. Herod heard the news about a mighty God who had intervened, the rightful king who had returned to rule. And his response was to kill every child under a certain age in a certain region, to reject, to wipe out the threat. The wise man chose to travel hundreds of miles to come to worship, to recognize the one who was worthy, who had come mighty God in the flesh. Each of us must choose to trust Christ for our rescue and salvation or reject him. So what does that look like? What does that look like? I mean, what do I need to do to personally experience this rescue? It's not based on my performance, but I, I have a response. I have a response. Let me talk about it in terms of three words. The first word is turn. That I turn from my sin and I turn toward Christ. That doesn't mean I, I, I suddenly become sinless or perfect, no. But it means I, I stop trusting in my own self. I, I turn from, from running away from God and I turn to his embrace for me. The second word is trust that I trust in Jesus Christ as my rescuer, as my ruler as the one who did for me what I could not do for myself. It's not Christ plus good works. It's I trust completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then from that point forward, I travel. I travel for the rest of my life following Christ and obeying his commands. And not, not because it earns me brownie points, but because... I'm convinced of his love for me. I'm convinced that his way is the best way. That I I want to follow him. I want to obey him out of a heart of love toward him. And that more and more and more he works in my life and more and more and more he creates that desire and that capacity to follow him and to obey his commands. Here's this wonderful, powerful word that Paul wrote to the Romans, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Regardless of your background, regardless of whether you're religious or irreligious, regardless of whether you, you considered yourself moral or immoral, whether, whether you thought, thought you were a pretty good person or you know you have messed up so bad, you thought nobody could ever forgive you. There is no way you could ever, ever be right with God again. Everyone, everyone who recognizes their need for a rescue, everyone who reaches out uh, and takes the provision of Jesus Christ, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord who will turn and trust and travel will be saved. Everyone in this room, everyone that you know and care about, those that you're praying for, Maybe you've gotten discouraged in praying for them because it seems like they're not getting softer, they're getting harder. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I want to just kind of wrap this up with just three things for you and I to say to mighty God today. And... We've been having some fun because my grandson's been... Staying at our house for a uh, few will, Not just him, but the whole family's been staying there. Uh, but uh, uh, so we've got two grandsons and the four-year-old, and so so we've been kind of working on some of those things, you know. So you just have to remind them a few hundred times, right? What do you say when somebody gives you something? Thank you. How do you ask for some milk? Nice. May I please ask? some? Yes. Okay. So we, you know, so at, at, at the risk of being very, very elementary. <laughs> Can I just remind you of three words that never go out of style? The three words that are appropriate for every one of us to say to our mighty God. The first word is, sorry. And I'm sorry I've ignored you, rejected you, and disobeyed you in my life. And that I come to that point when God's spirit brings me to a point of conviction of my, of my sin and my rebellion. That there's a broken heartedness over it. And I say to him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've ignored you. <laughs> acted like you were somebody to just be called upon in emergency use only. I've tried to use you instead of love you. I've rejected you and disobeyed you in ways large and small. I'm sorry. And then I say thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for me and to rescue me. Thank you that Jesus, the mighty God, did for me what I could not do for myself. Even when I didn't need a rescue, you provided it for me. Thank you. And then please, please forgive me change me and take over the running of my life right now and forever and part of our hope and prayer for this morning is that this morning there would be a child a student an adult in this room who this morning Would receive God's perfect Christmas gift, Jesus Christ. Not just by expressing some words, but by words that express a heart. You see, a gift, even a perfect gift, must not only be given, but it must be received. And the way that I receive this gift is by from my heart saying these things to Jesus Christ. So what I would like to do this morning is just lead you in a prayer. And maybe it's the prayer that you need to pray, and there's not magic in these words, but there's power in them, if they're sincerely from our heart. And maybe you're here this morning, and it just needs to be your prayer to God today. And if so, I invite you just to pray it in the quietness of your heart and mind. Or maybe today you just need to just pray right now for some folks that you know and love and value that their heart would be open, that these words would be spoken from their heart to Jesus Christ this Christmas season. So let's bow our heads together for just a moment, please. Oh, Father. Thank you. Thank you that even when I didn't know it, you sent Jesus Christ to rescue me. So, Father, from the depth of my heart, I say I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've ignored you, rejected you, and disobeyed you in my life. And I thank you for loving me. for sending Jesus Christ to die for me and to rescue me so father right here right now would you please forgive me would you change me from the inside out would you take over the running of my life from this point forward father thank you That it's not about my performance. But it's about what Jesus Christ has done. And Father, I just give you my life. Right here. And right now. And I open my life to receive the perfect Christmas gift of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. I'm just going to ask you just to keep your head bowed for just a moment more.